I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, you're listening to The BIP Show. BIP is for business investing and policy. That's what we're here to talk about. I'm Paul Colgan, director at CT Group here in Sydney, and I am here with James Whelan, macro strategist and investment manager at VFS here uh, in the Harbour City. G'day, James. G'day, Paul. Thanks for having me once again. We're here in Sydney recording on the 8th of October 2020. Joining us on the line from Amsterdam is Ken Vexler, Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer at Acumen Management. How are you, Ken? Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Will Colgo. Excited to get uh, get the show underway and uh, talk some emerging markets. Indeed, uh, we've got a real treat for you this week. Our guest is Paul McNamara, Investment Director and Lead Manager on Emerging, emerging Market Debt Strategies at GAM, uh, which is a uh, formidable f- firm in, uh, based in, uh, in, in London. Prior to uh, Paul's 20-year run with GAM, he was in the Export Credits Guarantee Department of the UK Government Economic Service, where he was an economist. And uh, he began his career career as a lecturer. He holds an MSc in economics from the London School of Economics. And for his sins is also a CFA charter holder. Uh, Paul, welcome to The Bip Show. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. <laughs> it's great. Look, it's great to have you on. Uh, for those who don't know Paul, he's also uh, one of the big personalities on, on Twitter and somebody who really is always on top of things. Uh, he's um, worth checking out on there. Uh, but Ken, I'm going to hand over to you and you uh, and James and Paul might uh, talk EMDM and everything in between. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. Colgo, thank you. And Paul, uh, thanks for joining. I appreciate it's early in London. Um Mate, you and I have known each other for quite some time and obviously been in and around markets for, for a while. We won't go into how long. But I think I, th- I think I think it's worthwhile just quickly for, let's say, our, our broader audience, for me to run through, considering that your focus is EM, emerging markets, I'll very quickly run through, you know, what, what emerging markets are, which is based on the Investopedia, I think, the definition on, on Google. Uh, emerging market is economy, which is uh, that of a developing nation that becomes more engaged with global markets as it grows. Um, So basically, it's almost a developed market, but it's not quite owing to lack of liquidity, regulatory oversight, yada, yada. I think most people listening to this show will understand. Um, Now, given that that's the backdrop and given that you, uh, in some circles, are known as God's gift to EM Paul, and and I don't say that shyly, do you want to give me the elevator spiel about what your role entails in actual fact before we get into the meat and bones? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, most most of what we do is long only. So um, the idea is to make money when markets go up and all we can really do is, is contain the damage uh, when they don't. Uh, so we're, we're trying to invest in local currency debt. So in Turkey, that's in Lira. In South Africa, that's in Rand. Um people when you talk about emd 
you know, sort of half the debt is in dollars, um, you know, so there's no currency risk. You're purely working with credit risk. The stuff I focus on is what's happening in the local currency. So it does tend to be the higher quality uh, countries. People aren't terribly keen to uh, lend Argentina money in pesos for for obvious (laughs) reasons, uh, given given the history of what's happened there. But for me, uh, above all, it's... uh, Picking the countries where, the, where you know where the currencies can outperform the dollar, and where they've got some sort of grip in inflation, and you know, and that the bonds will perform as well. Sure. And um, what sort of before I get into the, the crux, what sort of horizon are you looking at? What, what's the investable horizon for you guys? I, I, we've got a reasonably large fund, uh, you know, which means that we can't kind of flip stuff in and yeah. out that that, that quickly. Um, sort of nine months would be a, a, a probably a working horizon, a bit less than a year okay. for yeah. uh, for a reasonably punchy position. Okay, makes sense. And I suppose the, the reason for that question is because my perception of EM, mainly because I've always generally been DM focused in my, in my career, but my perception of EM has always been that of hot money flows chasing yield and and outsized returns, right? So, which leads me to the question that in an environment of zero interest rate, negative interest rate, QE, all in the DM world, and, and the fact that there's been an exponential rise in global liquidity, uh, has this made your job harder, easier? Has there been more hot money trying to get into EM, etc.? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the hot money thing is more a characteristics of, of, of the boom phases. So, mm. you know, in the run up to the global financial crisis, that was definitely, you know, when, when people would kind of chuck huge amounts of leverage into often quite marginal trades. Uh, EM has got very unfashionable since, uh, I mean, you know, we had the global financial crisis, then we had a very, very strong recovery driven by China. Once that fizzled out and we hit the taper tantrum, uh, EM has spent a lot of time adjusting and without those very, you know, those very fizzy returns, EM tends not to attract the leverage that it was kind of attracting in 2011, 2012. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I, it, it's not really a liquidity-driven trade. Uh, I, you know, I th- it's not like tech stocks, for example. I mean, I think the ultimate liquidity-driven trade would be is back in the majors, something something like tech. Okay. Uh, I mean, EM is is fairly funky, but it's it's kind of self inflicted. It's not so much due to due to due to the foreign hedges. Right. So I mean, so the, the precursor you're saying generally for flows is an overall willingness and risk appetite on a global basis, rather than the fact that money's free. Okay, fair enough. <clears throat> I suppose, but you know, in in a world, um, at least in the DM world, where we see a policy response as a tug of war between fiscal and monetary initiatives, um, and while there's been a reticence to enact fiscal stimulus under the current circumstances, the reaction function has, has shifted not inconsiderably. So, you know, we're, we're seeing stimulus across most governments, fiscal stimulus, etc., pumping money into economies uh, as a result of COVID. Um, but my perception is that in, in EM, it's, it's a different dynamic, right? What, what's, 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 what's the situation there? It, it, it really is, and it, this is what, what you're kind of touching on is absolutely, you know, is absolutely ground zero for what we're trying to achieve. So, I mean, mm-hmm. like in EM, you've, it, it's it's you, you've got a spectrum. At one end, you've got maybe Chile or Poland or Thailand, and these are effectively 
developed markets in financial terms that, you know, if the Polish government or the Chilean government come in and say, look, the central bank's going to buy government debt so that we can replace some of the missing demand, uh, then investors go, yeah, okay, that, that, that sounds reasonable and you don't have a crash. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you have somewhere like Argentina, uh, where the government says, you know what, the central bank is going to buy some government bonds and the market large says, the hell you are. And, you know, any peso that gets pumped into the market promptly gets switched into dollars and the currency crashes. Mm. Uh, you know, so this is I, I, I try not to call it QE because QE is the monetary thing. And what we're really talking about is deficit financing. But the big question for EM is where is the line? You know, what you know, at what is it Mexico? Is it South Africa? Is it Russia? Uh, which is the you know which is the which which is the worst country that can get away with uh, government financing? Because really, uh, you know, if I had to describe the the investment strategy we have this year, it is exactly that: spot the worst countries that can get away with QE. Yeah, because you know, if South Africa can do it, uh, then you're talking about a country where you can get you know double digit yields in you know in long dated paper, um, you know, and that's fantastic. You know, or even in Mexico, you can get seven percent. Uh, you know, wow. in a world with no yield, uh, but you know, there there is a line. You know, I don't think, for example, Turkey, where you've got fifteen percent yields, sort of near the front end, uh, it makes a lot of sense. But yeah. Uh, sorry, the sorry, I'm banging on here, but the point no, is, it's, that's, that's it's the idea. Absolute, <laughs> it's absolutely central to us. Is you know the 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 quality of a DM we think right now is this ability that you've got the US where you're talking about fiscal deficit of well into double digits this year. Uh, now, if you look at you know the, the the expansion in spending plans and the tax cuts you're seeing in places like South Africa or Brazil, they're of the same order of magnitude. But if they can't finance that, then we're mm. going to see some some fairly serious currency pukes. So, yeah, my job is the, is right now trying to figure out how bad you can be and still be able to um, to do uh, government finance, uh, sort of central bank financing of your, of your deficit. Now, we'll, we'll come back around to currency pukes later. I'm sure that we will, and I really I do want it's to. A but big, it's a big part of my life, yeah. yeah the, the, uh, I love the term as well. But the uh, talking about sort of the independence or the separation, this is a theme that I've been going with with a few guests that we've had of, of how the line between – and this is, I'm referring to the Fed, I'm referring to the states, the line between the government and the Fed and the executive and the central bank is sort of starting to be blurred between the two. It's not black and white or independent. One of the key investability criteria for emerging markets is how independent the central bank is. Are you saying, and maybe this just step outside your emerging markets realm for a second here, Paul, but the you know, are you seeing that, that that blurring of the line is sort of sending? Is it bad for America that it, that, that that line is being blurred? Uh, I, it it it's not right now. I think in the you know I think it should be. I think in the medium term, uh, an awful lot of the you know the you know the extension of the power of the executive in the the president in the U.S. into other areas could have very nasty consequences. But you know, right now, you know, the U.S. fiscal expansion is much bigger than it is anywhere else. You know, and the dollar is holding fine. Uh, so, should it be a problem? Yes. Is it a problem right now? Not obviously. Does that does that talk uh, to the script to, to the nature of the fact that the U.S. is U.S. dollars a reserve currency? The fact that the U.S. is the U.S. 
Wow. Definitely makes it easier, and it's the same. Mm. It's the same with the UK, where you know it might have mentioned once or twice that I have strong feelings about Brexit. You know that you <laughs> no, can. The you hell know, you say? No. <laughs> you know that you know that you can that the world is willing to give the UK a chance to to you know to figure out what it's doing and reserve. You know that reserve currenciness is, is is basically what I've been talking about. Is how far is your currency from being a reserve currency? Uh, you know, obviously EMs don't have that, but you can get away with an awful lot more. And it's not even just reserve. It's do people trust the currency? So I mean, if you look at Turkey or Argentina, uh, people in the country tend to you know keep a significant part of their savings in dollars. Uh, you know, it's how much is the currency trusted? And you know, reserve. Currency status is the gold standard there, but you know it's a it's a spectrum. It's not just it's not a kind of purely binary thing. You know, sort of uh, reserve currency, non-reserve currency. It's how trusted, uh, it, mm-hmm. how trusted mm-hmm. are the authorities? And and sort of actually leading on from that, I'm gonna. I had a question lined up, and I'm gonna skip the order and ask you the following. But you know, th- this is probably my own prize. You know, starting to come through and show here, but. You know, in, in EM, in the EM universe, how do you go about choosing what I'd call, I suppose, the, the cleanest, dirty shirt? I mean, the, the EM economies are famously known to rank highly on global corruption indices, you know, let's say, for questionable political practices and the like. How, how does the selection criteria work besides, you know, which currency is less likely to puke? Uh, I mean, you, you, you've got two things which, which kind of kind of interact. One is is structural factors that you know, if you have a fairly independent central bank, if you have a finance minister with a long track record of knowing what they're doing, if you have um, it's sufficiently well established in the political system, so that you know, like even in the you know, even if the opposition win the election, they're not going to turn everything upside down. Uh, so you, you've got kind of underlying institutional stability. Uh, yeah. That's one thing. Uh, the the other element, though, is just the balance of payments. Uh, is that you know a country where which is importing more than it's exporting, it, you know, lacks that safety margin. Uh, but it but it, it it does interact when people have confidence. They'll keep their money and they'll give the country the benefit of the doubt. If you don't, you have an Argentine situation where every time you get a peso, you know you are at least considering. Well, maybe I should switch this into dollars. Uh, so it, it comes down to trust, both of you know people in the domestic economy and in terms of foreigners. And there's there's a huge range of things. There's both the the short term macro. And there's the longer longer term institutional factors uh, driving it, and you know, and it's weird because you get mixed countries. You get somewhere like Russia, very strong balance sheet, very little debt. Uh, the the Nabolina, the central bank uh, governor there, is I think generally recognised as the best central governor bank governor yeah, in the Yeah, she's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it still looks wobbly because mm. if you have a load of money in Russia, there's a decent chance that the, you know, mm. the Viki, whatever you call them, the, you know, the, 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 mm. the, the ruling clique will come after the, will, will come after the money. You know, they, they, it, 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 it's not something you can boil down to one factor. There's, you know, it's the sure. politics, it's the balance of payments and it's the institutions. Well, did you want to, I mean, if we're talking actually about physical clean, 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 dirty shirts, I love the expression too, Ken, the, uh, <laughs> What is, and if we think about sort of the, 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 those emerging market, you know, those good clean shirts uh, there, what's, what's in the championship looking for promotion to the, to the Premier League at the moment? Like what, uh, uh, I, mean, I mean, 
as I kind of said earlier, I think, you know, the Premier League is most of Central Europe, Thailand, Chile, uh, you know, those countries are fairly established, but you, you, you don't can, you don't really get paid so much to own, you know, to own those, uh, you know, sort of 10 year, 10 year government bonds in Poland yield about what 0.7%. Um, so, you know, the next stage down the countries where I think we're most interested in are places like Indonesia, Mexico, uh, those are our big two. Russia, I think, would be up there. I, I don't really understand what's going on in Russia. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to admit that. But, you know, even, given, given, given everything I said earlier, you know, this is a country with almost no government debt net overall. They've got, you know, the best uh, reserve protection, level of foreign exchange reserve protection on an awful lot of measures. They've got a very credible uh, central bank governor. Fiscal policy has always been responsibly run. But the ruble has actually had a pretty pretty rotten year, uh, sort of worse than South African rand. Uh, I mean, okay, oil is part of that, yeah. but you know, an oil price of forty dollars a barrel. That you know, when when we were talking about negative oil prices back in March, April, okay, that was extraordinary. But like oil prices at forty dollars a barrel aren't really, uh, you know, it's it, it's not. Nobody could have seen this coming. So mm-hmm. Russia is a country, you know, which we think should be up there, but isn't. Uh, Peru, we think is 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 interesting. Colombia, I think, are up there as well. So we've got a few countries that we're looking at. Um, I spend an awful lot of time talking about Turkey. That's a country we're very very negative on uh you know they've been well not i'd say bleeding reserves but they don't you know they don't actually have any net reserves they've been borrowing money desperately sort of trying to protect the uh, the lira with very little success but i think you know probably the most interesting currency of all right now is is the south african rand because it's it's that strange mix you've got a very competent central bank but you've got a history of almost no growth you've got more or less continuous devaluation as long as i've been doing this job uh, in 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 the rand I I mean, if the South Africans can get away with it, you'll get truly extraordinary returns. But this very, very steep, sort of mind-blowingly steep uh, yield curve that we that we have in South Africa um, just does indicate that, that that people are very doubtful about the long-term future there. Uh, but you know, you've got you've got front-end rates down in the low single digits, and you've got twelve percent on the um, on on the thirty-year bond. Uh, uh, yeah, so South, South Africa is the interesting one. I mean, I think Argentina and Turkey, there's there, there's probably no rescuing. Uh, but yeah, we've got a spectrum. We've got a bunch of markets we're interested in. So just just for my curiosity, I suppose, uh, in the instance of say somewhere somewhere like South Africa, where you mentioned that the steepness of the curve is just you know exponential for, for obvious reasons, the long term, the market doesn't believe in its ability to, you know. Uh, do you are you ever tempted to play play that sort of range so so go further out the curve or is it or is the risk reward just well, not South there? Africa South Africa very different uh, you know oh. is it, it's very difficult to walk away from from those sort of yields uh, yeah, yeah. that sort of curve steepness I mean historically you know just mechanically mm-hmm. rotating into the back end of steep curves tends to be a, a you know something something uh, that that 
that's fairly consistently profitable. But there is a credit mm. issue here. Uh, you yeah. know, people are talking about, okay, you will probably get paid X amount of rand when these bonds mature, but what the rand is going to be worth yeah. is, 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 clearly, is, is clearly what people are questioning. Uh, I mean, ESCOM is a huge part of that story, the, the need to bail out the, the electricity utility. But it's the lack of growth. That's what's killing South Africa is that, mm. you know, you've got nominal GDP growth, you know, has been mid to low single digits basically forever. Um, you know, and if you can't, you know, if you can't generate a bit of GDP growth, then you're not going to be able to pay your debts. Yeah, and, and just, I suppose, excuse me, on, on the trust issue, like, I mean, we were talking about how, broadly speaking, in EM, you, well, not you, but generally, investors will look for a, a consistency, that, that, that there may be some element of risk for obvious reasons, hence the return is higher, but there's always also some level of consistency in terms of trust, so even if the opposition party gets in power, institutional consistency remains, etc. How quickly can that turn on its head, I mean, and how quickly... Can you foresee something like that coming? Because in the US, you might have had Trump for four years, but little in the scheme of things has changed outside the fact that, you know, the, the grift has become neon flashing and everyone knows about it. Um, whereas in, in AM, how quickly can that turn and how quickly can you manoeuvre around that, or anyone for that matter? Not fast. Uh, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, uh, Turkey, I think, is a really, really good example here because, yeah. uh, you know, sort of historically, you know, Turkey was a, you know, a, a functioning shambles. And then, uh, oh God, sort of uh, the best part of 20 years ago, uh, the AK, the, the Islamists came in, clean broom big financial crisis, cleaned things up and turned Turkey into a very, very dynamic economy. Now, since 2015, especially since there was the failed uh, quote-unquote coup, uh, you've seen the government really begin to, uh, or the, the presidential administration, you sort of begin to take control that uh, institutions in Turkey really don't function, that when you had a central banker who was, you know, who was widely respected by the market but was leaning to, to hike interest rates, he was removed from his post. Uh, it's the sort of thing that the market catches up with, that you see the deterioration, but you only see the effects of the deterioration when when, when a country comes under stress. Um, I mean, in terms of trust, I think, you know, I'm kind of dragging the conversation back to Russia here because trust is really the only problem we have with Russia. You know, the macro mm. fundamentals are really pretty good, very little debt. You know, it's a country you would expect to be able to turn things around. But the trouble is nobody wants to, you know, even, you know, rich Russians don't want to keep their money in Russia or they at least want, you know, a, a an outlet because the government might just come knocking and say, you know what, I'm having that. Yeah, it's one of those rare cases where past performances is an indicator of future. Uh, yeah, well, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to rush a splain, Ken, here. No, 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 I, mate, by all means, I mean, don't you worry about that. Um, this, this is something that's stuck with me for a while, because as illiterate as I may be, I do occasionally read stuff. And uh, I remember some years ago reading a piece of cell site research where the tagline was something like, China is to EM what the US is to DM, right? Now, I can't remember the, 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 the content of it you know, per se, but broadly speaking, I think it implied that Chinese economic growth and, and general prosperity would spur a risk appetite, you know, flavour in the EM landscape, and, you know, and off we went. To your mind, is that, a, is that a fair assessment, or has the paradigm shifted? Was it ever the case? How, how do you see it? I, I hate to say it, but there's, a, there's, there's an awful lot to that. Uh, I mean, yeah. I think 2009, 2010 was the real 
proof of that is that, you know, we came out of the global financial crisis and, you know, an EM were, you know, we, we got the immediate kind of dead cat bit of the bounce. But then, you know, China embarked on sort of the biggest uh, sort of monetary expansion or credit expansion that we've pretty much seen, 40% of GDP in a single year. That completely transformed. It transformed specifically commodity prices, which is why I think the Latins and Russia did particularly well. But it's also sort of very good for for, for, for Asia. Uh, so, I mean, specifically, you know, only about half of EM is a net commodity exporter. But once you throw Asia on top of that and, you know, and then otherwise acknowledge that, um, you know, Turkey and Central Europe beat to a European tune. Yeah, uh, China is colossally important to EM. Uh, yeah, no getting around that. So so there's a question that one of the things that's happened uh, this year, or it's brought it to a head uh, at least, uh, is this question over you know the integration of the global economy and the dependencies that are in there. Right? So, um, yep. how interconnected everything is, uh, and a lot of governments, uh, policymakers, and it's certainly the case in Australia, but uh, obviously Brexit has also brought on this conversation uh, in the UK. Is kind of reassessing. Um, domestic capacity and uh, capability, uh, you know, governments starting to think about reshoring uh, certain capacities that they had in the past, uh, maybe, but um, that was easy and sensible for them to to offshore or buy from overseas and try and do other things that they were good at uh, at home. Um, so how is that reassessment picture affecting the EM world because so many of those countries have benefited, uh, you know, emerging markets uh, have benefited from uh, from that trend of like 20, 30 years of... No, absolutely. Yeah, so how, yeah. how, how does that play into... into well, I mean, you, I, you know, first... It- it was something that was very noisy for a while, um, you know, especially like when we had these shortages of PPE and, you, you know, you, I mean, you literally couldn't find uh, these paper masks in a shop, uh, for example, and because they all came from China. It's like suddenly why aren't we manufacturing this stuff? Uh, I My instinct would be to fade that as a trend. Um, I mean, the reason, you know, that you don't have British people stamping out, you know, 200 masks an hour is that, you know, British people are much more expensive than Chinese people still, uh, you know, let alone Vietnamese or whatever else. You know, so the labour cost thing is not going to go away. Um, you know, that, look, the there, there, there are clearly issues, you know, especially when global transport slows up, that, you, you know, that, that reshoring may, may, be, may be desirable. But, you know, the, the model we have at the moment, it, it's not something that you can easily reverse. Um, you know, it's a huge capital investment to build, you know, for example, a chip uh, a fabrication plant, um, it's, you know, or a car plant or whatever, you know, because like a huge part of Europe's cars, you know, the, the quote, the, the, the German car industry is to a significant degree a central European car industry. You know, it, 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 it's not an easy process to reverse. Uh, it, it, the it, the interesting thing is that we've all, though that we've always thought of the commodity producers as the unstable uh, part of the uh, 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 of the equation is you know because you know when when soybean prices are high Brazil does very well when soybean prices fall Brazil is a disaster area and this is why it's been such a volatile country 
but if the end manufacturing is going to be shifting around, then suddenly, you know, the Central European or Asian growth models are the ones which look vulnerable because, you know, you can't grow soybeans on that scale anywhere else. You can't move a copper plant to Ohio. Uh, you know, you can't move uh, an oil field uh, to northern England or whatever. Uh, you know, so in a way, it you know, it, it shifts the 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 balance away from the um, the manufacturing countries, the manufacturing and service countries, uh, towards maybe the commodity exporters. But I think you know, so far this is something which was very noisy uh, in the press and so on. Not necessarily um, an established trend or something that's definitely going to happen. And you know, I think elections. Uh, you know, the US especially, but but not only, are going to be very important here, is that you had Brexit, you had Trump, you had two, you know, okay, you had uh, a, a very big and a medium-sized economy sort of actually actively detaching themselves from globalization and the, the idea that trade is good. You know, if we get some sort of basically rational Brexit deal, if we get... No, uh, sorry. 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 No, it's not going to happen, mate. You're not going to get into it no, no, uh, you know, I'm, I'm stockpiling tins, it's got to be said. Uh, you know, but if you, you, you know, you get a Democrat back in the White House, you don't have this dismantling of the World Trade Organization. Uh, I'm not ready to position for that dismantling of globalization yet. Yeah. And, and that, that's, I suppose that's my next point. I mean, you've touched on it, but, you know, you've covered in your answer the ifs. I suppose what I'm looking for in, in answer to the next question is, how do like you know a, a weighted probability that you assign? So obviously we've got the U.S. election in, in under sort of four weeks' time. Potential repercussions. What do you see? <clears throat> you know, do, do you see a, a, a Trump victory? Do you see uh, a blue wave? Uh, you know, a red wave. You know, how how are you looking at it? I, I, I think uh, the votes are definitely are, are going to swing blue. Um, I, you know, the, the, not just the the polls, but the logic underlying the polls seems to be very consistent. Is that Trump is? Lo- I mean, I, you, nobody wants to hear my views on U.S. elections, but just say yeah, we do, mate. I, I ask for a no, reason. No, I, I mean, we actually do. You well, know, you can't say. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but you know, if he's, you know, to, you, he had uh, kind of uh, college-educated women. And especially old people were major parts of the Trump coalition. And those seem to be fairly severely damaged now. So there is, you know, you've got a case where it makes sense that Trump could well lose this election. I don't think it's a given by any means. I think, you know, the polls will swing back. We're going to see a doubt. But I think the base case now is that Trump loses the election, that we're going to see a swing back not even necessarily a swing back to globalization, but a slowdown in the move, at, at, at a minimum, a slowdown. In the dismantling of it, yeah. I think, you know, I think Mexico in particular is less under pressure now because mm. uh, you, you don't have this insane racism as an important factor in in driving economic policy. Um you know, I think Russia is a big loser because, you know, whether or not you believe all the conspiracy theories, it's fairly clear that uh, Trump is by far the keenest president on Russia that the US has ever had. Uh, you know, certainly the, more, the most sympathetic to any and all Russian foreign policy aims. Um, you know, and I think, you know, the prospect of sanctions on Russia, I mean, the, the Democrats wouldn't be human if they weren't looking for a little bit of payback. Mm-hmm. But I think more broadly, you know, I think... 
there's a relief trade on globalization. You know, even if you don't think that everything is going, you know, that we're going back to the way we were, um, you, you're taking a major risk of globalization and to economies like not, you know, not just Korea and Taiwan, which don't really count as CM anymore, but places like India uh, mm. or Mexico, I think, are the big beneficiaries. Yep. So, so just uh, just going here now. I've got a tweet from uh, Robin Brooks, um, who's quoting you, and I just want to make sure that, that that it's been quoted correctly, so that we can just go through yep. what you just said. So, uh, markets may be starting to price a Biden win in EM, as you Paul yep. flagged yesterday. One one expression maybe. So this is this is it. Just make sure that's all that, that we're clear. Long Mexican peso versus short Russian ruble, and I was going to ask yep. you why, but you've just told us why. That's that's just okay. Good. Markets are certainly moving that way over the past week. Asian EMFX also up. Maybe on prospects of reduced US-China tensions. So, that's it. anything else to add on to that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I the one thing I would say is that the position of China has 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 clearly changed in the world. That you know that China isn't just the expression of globalization. It's got a very nationalist government of its own. There is a move against China, which I think is independent of the globalization thing. And I would I, I I think you know there are questions about what's going to happen to China and global relations to China, which are independent of that. But yeah, I think Asia more broadly as uh, as a way to position for a more outward-looking America, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so I mean, I suppose, I suppose what's you know important to remember here, and you as an AM uh, person should probably agree with this: morals don't matter. I mean, if, if if Asia is seen as the the global engine of of growth, no matter how slowly puttering along it is, then people are just going to turn a blind eye and, and just go where they can. And and frankly. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I might be the wrong person to be opining on this because I have a very, very low opinion of humanity in general. But, uh, yes, yeah, so because we've known each other a while and that's probably why we get on and you're an EM and, and anyway. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I just think, yeah, I, I probably tend to agree. I, th- I think that Asia, you know, you can take the globalisation narrative into play, out of play, whatever else, but I think Asia probably does revert to being a driver, China, a, a large part of that. And, you know, the morals of, of the optics of it, who cares really at this point? Sorry. But that's the reality as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, um, I mean, I, I, this much yeah. I think my, you and I do agree on is the importance of narrative, you know, mm. relative to what's actually happening. Sorry, Ken. No, 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 no exactly. And, 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 that, and that's the thing. I mean, I, I think I tweeted, a, you know, some aphorism bollocks there the other day. But basically, you know, in markets, what starts out as a self-perpetuating, you know, concept ends up invariably being self-fulfilling. And, and that is basically how narratives generally tend to work in markets. So, you know, either you believe it or you don't. If you believe it, hey, whatever. Anyway, look, uh, I'm going to wrap it up and ask you lastly about something that I have a vague concept about after 25 years of trying to do it, which is, uh, you know, the, the dollar and, you know, what you alluded to being currency pukes, obviously, and local currency. What's... what's uh, What's your view on the dollar? I mean, are we are we living the dollar smile in its purest definition, or do you see it going one way or another directionally for a period? And obviously, how does that 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 then just clearly has an impact on on EM currency? So, what's what's your view there? Yeah, I mean, just to kind of reverse from the last bit first. Uh, I mean, historic. Usually, the dollar has been the biggest single 
global driver for EM. Yeah. You know, it's very hard to make money in EMFX when the dollar is strong. Um, you, it, that's been less true this year. Uh, I mean, of course, because EM is EM, it's when we have uh, dollar weakness and we haven't had EM strength for part of this year. Uh, I would still lean to be bullish the dollar here. The US fiscal stimulus is just bigger than anyone else's and mm. growth is 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 the big driver of currencies uh plus people have you know they might have reined back the big dollar short but they're still short so i think the combination of positioning and growth favor a stronger dollar from here um you, you know does that, does that lead to an em puke somewhere uh, a puke not necessarily but it, it it tends to mean a tough environment i've got to be yeah. i've got to be honest yeah um, Paul, I've got one one last question for you while, while we've got you on here, right? So uh, one of the weird things about 2020 has been the arrival of all these new traders to the market, right? So lots of people taking an interest in markets for their, from their homes for the first time. Um, oh, yeah. Right, so, uh, and welcome, everybody. Um, but, um, and something I'd like to ask people uh, who've been around for a while, but what would be the most important thing that you wish people could underst- should understand about, uh, about global markets before they get in and start? It's not easy. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I just think, you know, I mean, the... The kind of the, the Robin Hood generation are piling into into tech stocks, you know, and we get this whole, it's easy, you know, I'm the new Warren Buffett. And, you know, and, it, and, it, and okay, it gets blown out of proportion because this stuff makes, make, makes good headlines. But there's, you know, um, jumping, on, jumping on board the express train only takes you so far. I, I think there's a lot of unsophisticated people who are going to get burnt along the way. That's not to say anybody knew that there aren't people who haven't been involved in investment who, 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 who don't have a huge amount to add. But I do think uh, you know, people are going to do themselves some real damage here. Caveat emptor, um, so beware. Um, so don't forget to subscribe, rate us, uh, leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on iTunes at The Bip Show. We're on Twitter. It's at the underscore bip underscore show. And we're on Facebook too. Uh, just search The Bip Show. We're all there individually as well. Uh, at Colgo, at James Whelan 42, at Ken Vexler. And uh, Paul is at, uh, at M underscore Paul McNamara. So uh, you get on there uh, uh, and... Um, uh, follow his commentary he uh, will enrich your feed I promise you Paul, uh, Paul thanks so much uh, for taking the time to come on the show absolute pleasure thanks very much for having me on uh, James it's been real mate uh, whoever took the uh, the overs on six and a half for the word puke in this podcast congratulations uh, cash that out this afternoon <laughs> yeah. uh, and Ken thanks very much mate yeah pleasure guys as always and Paul uh, mate I enjoyed that I, I desperately miss our uh, our beers and vodka sessions down at the Baltic but mate, infection island means I'm not going anywhere near your gaff so like I suspect I'll be in, I'll, I'll be over your way before uh, then I certainly hope so but mate thanks again really enjoyed it and uh, yeah let, let's do it again soon definitely the show is produced by Eamon Connolly and Rick Salter and we'll catch you next time uh, I'm off to check out the South African yield curve thanks for listening Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 